0: Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at Tripods.com. Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Oh, that Jerry. Hello, Jerry. thank you for listening. Uh-huh. Blog, talk radio and today is Saturday, February 15th, 2014. We have a very special guest with us today, and we're going to discuss an important topic no one ever really wants to, to address. Dr. Katherine Goldberg from wholeanimalvet.com focuses on geriatric support and veterinary hospice services for our animals. Call 646-716-5450 with your questions about end-of-life care or coping with grief. Or join us in the live chat room at com slash chat. Dr. Goldberg, thank you for your time and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me.
1: Hi, Dr. Goldberg. This is Renee here. Just wanted to give you an extra thanks. We really appreciate you being here today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: It's exciting to have this uh, topic to give in some attention, so no worries. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's not something that, you know, anybody really wants to talk about, but unfortunately, we have to. I mean, it, it happens to anybody who loves an animal, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, dying is as, as natural as being
2: born for all of us and for all of our animals, so it's something that we, we need some support around,
1: yeah. Yes, and our community can can certainly use that. I mean, this, this happens a lot, unfortunately, among our, our membership Um, because a lot of our Tripods members um, have cancer. Right. Um, And, um, yeah, we we deal with it a lot in our forums, so we we really appreciate you being here to to talk about this. Sure. Um, Wanted to uh, just start uh, asking you some questions, because we have a lot of material to cover and not too much time here. Um, Tell me a little bit about you, first of all, and and why you chose to focus on on the type of work that you do. Um, What exactly does it involve?
2: It's a great question. So my own um, journey to this, you know, my my professional kind of trajectory of my career has been very um, interesting and kind of winding. And I mean, essentially, I, my background is in critical care and, and emergency care. That's what I, um, you know, came out of that school being interested in, and, and developed more of an interest during my internship. And so was on this path to to become an emergency and critical care specialist. And spent um, some time in in the intensive care unit and really enjoyed it, certainly learned um, a tremendous amount and really enjoyed that intensive, um, you know, medical training. Um, But I found that as I was caring for these very sick, you know, um, often dying animals um, in the intensive care unit and really seeing the disruption of the bond between people and their pets, I really over time, quite honestly, became very consumed by the questions of of how we're doing this work and and the ethics of of end-of-life and, uh, you know, intensive care for for animals. And so I just became incredibly fascinated by it. Um, It occurred to me that no one in my professional world was really having these conversations, and I was fascinated by that as well. And so it really became my focus. Um, Simultaneously, I you know i i've had an interest in bioethics and, and in human end-of-life care and so i also became a trained human hospice volunteer with with hospice care and palliative care services of Tompkins County that's our local human hospice organization um and so i you know became very inspired by by that organization and those people doing that work and so that was an invaluable experience you know be, really having a familiarity with the delivery systems and the philosophy of care that drives, you know, in human medicine. And so I really saw a tremendous opportunity to kind of translate that into veterinary care. And then mm-hmm. also somewhat simultaneously it was kind of an interesting confluence of factors. My beloved dog Griffey, um was diagnosed with cancer. And so I found myself on kind of the other end of, you know, other side of the exam table as I said in, in the blog entry that I, that I submitted, you know, through the Tripods blog. And um, it was a very powerful experience having that, um, you know, as a, as a client, as a, as a pet caregiver as opposed to a veterinarian. So those three factors, like, all just kind of swirled around um, simultaneously, hmm. and, and my interest in, in veterinary hospice and palliative medicine was born. I guess that's the, the brief version of, like, all the different factors. Um, and so that's how I, you know, I ultimately left. Um, intensive care, um, really wanting to focus on guiding people through this time because I I knew what it felt like to go through it myself, and I felt like there were there was a, a lot of opportunity really for growth in this area and for support. And um, and like I said, my my experience with human hospice care it was just so inspiring um, that I thought there was yeah. a lot of opportunity. You know, in our veterinary world, for sure. You know, we're dealing like all of veterinary care. Especially at the end of life, but at all times is essentially medical care by proxy. You know, we're dealing with nonverbal, mm-hmm. non decisionally capable patients who, in the eyes of the law, are property, are legal property. It's like when I talk to the vet students at Cornell I say, Your your dog is your shoe in the eyes of the law and that's right. you know, carries with it all sorts of interesting, um, factors that we can have all sorts of judgments about, but that's just the, that's the reality, right? And so people then need to make decisions on behalf of this family member so in the eyes of the law it's property but greater than 80% of Americans say that you know they believe and they feel that their pets are their family and so we need that's to have really support great. structures in place to kind of deal with that you know that disconnect and then meanwhile pay for veterinary care out of their pocket so I mm-hmm. find it just really fascinating you know the there's rich
1: ethical terrain I think to deal with with all of this stuff so
2: yeah that's how, that's I, how I, I do, do too it.
1: Do you, do you think the reason why uh, up until recently veterinary medicine hasn't really approached this topic is because our definition of a, a pet is is changing and, and has changed into a family member? Um, it, it seems like things are a lot different than even when I was a kid, and I'm not that old. Yeah. And I'm wondering right. if, if you think your field is growing because of that. I
2: think that's a, I love this question. I think that's a great question, and um, I think, I mean, yes. I, I guess the, the, the very brief answer is absolutely. You know, I think that all of um, you know the the progress and forward momentum of, of veterinary care in general. I think all of that comes from the fact that our relationships with animals, you know, is changing and the role that animals have in our lives, that's changing too. And it's it's really no longer the case that when animals get sick, we just kind of say we're done, you know. And and so that um, certainly translates, you know, specifically to to end-of-life care and and a a strong focus on human-animal bond, which I'll certainly address in a second. But I, I also think that, you know, it's not just hospice. I mean, if we think of the evolution of, you know, ophthalmology or radiology or neurology or, you know, take any veterinary specialty, I, you know, I hear a lot from people, um, well, we never used to clean our dog's teeth, you know, for example, like dental right. care or something. I think that people talk about all the time, like, well, what's going on these days? Like, why do we all of a sudden have to take care of our pet's teeth? And And so – You know, it's just an evolution. It's just progress. Um, You know, the the model of care is such that if my dog now, you know, had an eye problem, I would take her to an ophthalmologist. And and, um, certainly not everyone feels that way, but that is – you know, that's what's available now, and so I think that's changing our model of care. So I think that, you know, there are lots of other specialties that are that are new, too. You know, the critical care college, mm-hmm. for example, is is new, newer. Um, you know, dentistry, for example, behavior, you know, there's now an animal welfare college. There's a rehab and, you know, rehabilitation and sports medicine college. So all these things, it's an evolution. But um, certainly I, I definitely agree with you that, that hospice and palliative medicine in particular is – Expanding and becoming more, uh, you know, certainly requested and and more um, highly regarded, and something that's being discussed because I think you know the end of lives of, of animals. To me, I mean, my strong belief is that this is a very a particularly important time for us with our animals. I think that it, you know, is a very um, unique time that uh, of the bond that we share with you know between the human family members and and our pets, and so animals are living longer and, and the options for their care are certainly expanding and it's like this dizzying array of, of options. And, and so that's really wonderful in one regard, but it also can be very confusing and very yeah. um, challenging. And, I, you know, there's certainly, especially with finances and, you know, what's the burden of caregiving and can we really do all of these things just because I can put your dog on a ventilator doesn't necessarily mean I should. You know, and right. so that's really with any intervention, I think it's important to, to think of it that way. And so, yeah, absolutely, people need support um, as their animals age. You know, it's it's a reality for more and more and more people now that their animals will live longer, and as a result, we're going to be dealing with more medical issues, just like we just like we do with people. So, yeah, absolutely, the, the bond that we share with animals and the relationship that is changing is is largely driving driving this care. I mean. You know the human-human um, interactions in our in our society now mm-hmm. arguably they're, they're getting weaker, but the human-animal interactions are are getting stronger. So, so
1: we need support. Isn't that interesting? In
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like I have a you know colleague of mine who says we don't even date in person anymore.
1: <laughs> um, you know, but,
2: but who's there with you, you know, when we're all interacting with social networks and media and all these kinds of things and, like, the dog is there, right, like with their head on your lap, like the cat right. on your computer while you're, you know, dating online. I mean, it's, it's, like, fascinating to me that the relationships that we have with with our animals, they are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so, you know, people could argue, well, are we hyper-attached? Well, well maybe, but the reality is it's not changing anytime soon. So we need to, you know,
1: support that (laughs) absolutely and because our our members are are really enlightened and and just really really care about about their animals um i know that they can help spread this message so absolutely yeah yeah, it's a no-brainer
2: for people who share yeah right
1: right i mean yeah for people who share their lives with
2: animals like this is no this is a no-brainer like your readers and your community your support network this is like preaching to the choir you know (laughs)
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, and a lot of people still don't know what options are, are out there um, for, sure, for, for, sure. for palliative yeah. care and, and end-of-life choices. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, when yeah. is, is palliative care an option um, for, for pet parents? Um, how do you know when it's, it's time to consider mm-hmm. it? Um, is it ever too soon if, if your animal has just been diagnosed with, with a terminal condition? When is mm-hmm. this something that you should start thinking about? It's mm-hmm. a great. I love this question as well. It's a great
2: question. I think one important distinction is, you know, between you know, palliative medicine and hospice. They get they get lumped together for sure for very good mm-hmm. reasons. Um, but it is important, I think, to understand that you know, palliative medicine. That what we're talking about when we say we're going to palliate something is we're going to um, relieve the symptoms and signs and undesirable kind of clinical effects of disease. Um, we're trying to make that patient more comfortable, we're going to try to deal with symptoms rather than curative treatment, which, you know, the goal of which is to eliminate the disease, to get rid of it, to cure it. Um, and so we can palliate all sorts of things. You know, pain management absolutely is probably the number one thing that I deal with, or certainly, you know, within the top three. Um, and so when people think of palliative care and palliative medicine, I think they very appropriately and correctly think of, of pain management. Um, but that's just mm-hmm. one thing that we're palliating. You know, we, we palliate diarrhea and GI distress and we palliate vomiting and we palliate, you know, certainly cognitive issues um, in dogs and behavioral dysfunction and, you know, ulcers in the mouth and reflux and like all these different things that can be clinical manifestations of a variety of diseases. And so um, in terms of true palliative medicine, it is never too soon to start that. That's that's an approach to care that in human medicine absolutely is becoming integrated Earlier and earlier, you know, the the model of care, the kind of new model of care is to have curative and palliative care teams working with patients and with families together at the same time. And so at the beginning of care, kind of at the onset of, you know, after diagnosis with with human medicine, for example, the the curative care team, like they're really amped up and they're doing – the majority of, of the care. And if we think of this like on a visual, it's, you know, it's like this arc that's going up and up and up, and the curative care team is doing a lot, and the palliative care team, they're on the surface. They're in the background there, but they're doing less. And as the disease trajectory progresses and as the need for and the success of curative treatment wanes, the palliative care team, they're amping up, you know, and then their trajectory uh-huh. goes up, and then the team is is in place to then smoothly transition into hospice. And then bereavement, you know, after after death, and so that's the model of care that is really driving me, like driving my professional, mm-hmm. you know, life, because I think that that is what we need to bring into veterinary care. So that's, you know, that's one thing with the palliative model. Hospice care mm-hmm. is a specific and very directive type of palliative care at the end of life. Does that make sense?
1: Okay. Yeah. So, thank so hospice for, for care
2: certainly, out. yeah. I, you know, so so hospice care is our definition. I think in veterinary care is is a pickle. It's a little bit murky, largely because we don't have the ability, um, or sometimes we have the ability, but we just for various reasons and limitations within the veterinary world, we we're not diagnosing terminal illness. And certainly not as early as we are in human medicine. And we may not even be diagnosing it as completely, to be honest. You know, we have many patients who we have a suspicion of what their diagnosis is, and we may or may not actually have have a diagnosis. And so it, it begs the question, I think, of what is terminal in an animal, you know, mm-hmm. whose, whose life, very honestly, we can end legally at any time. So, so what's right. terminal, you know? And I find that another very interesting ethical discussion, you know, is – um, you know, obviously cancer and you know neoplastic diseases, cancerous diseases, and malignancy—they're kind of the the example that everyone goes to because typically that's that's terminal illness, and so that's easier <laughs> to, to argue as mm-hmm. terminal illness. But what about organ failure of any kind? You know, what about kidney failure in a cat or a dog? What about liver disease such that you know it's so unmanageable for either the family, human family, or the you know, symptom management of a pet, that then that becomes a life-limiting disease such that then it is terminal. What about immune-mediated diseases, you know, where we're sending animals home on
1: eight, nine, ten
2: different medications, and some have to be given with food and some have to not be given with food, and we have to give it multiple times a day, and people are working, and we're really, it's very challenging, you know, to treat these animals, and so is that tip you know, that pet terminal? Well, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah Again, you know, with human medicine, we have more of a you know when people are admitted onto a hospice census for example, for their hospice, you know their medicare benefit to, to kick in. we have to have a diagnosis and we have to have an anticipated trajectory of their disease process and and we don't have that for pets and so it it changes things a a bit, but the philosophy of care is still the same you know that is mm-hmm. an additional intervention is kind of unlikely to change the course of the disease that Comfort care and palliating symptoms is the primary goal. That emotional support for the human family members is a primary goal. All of that, you know, that's very very similar. But but what's terminal in a pet when we have, as I say, often you know that the, the low hanging fruit, right, of legal euthanasia. Uh huh. So yeah. yeah and and who,
1: who defines that animal's quality of life? I mean, is it? Do you work with the with parents? To define that particular animal's quality of life and it seems to me that you just can't make a blanket statement about it for all dogs or all cats. Right. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean,
2: it's a very individualized model of care. You know, it's absolutely mm -hmm. um, each family is different and each situation is different and the goals and expectations and fears and deal breakers um,
1: are different with each family and so Absolutely, yeah. Yep. I, I just want to encourage our members to go to the Tripods Amazon blog. It's amazon.tripods.com and look up a book that we reviewed not too long ago called The Last Walk. It's, um, uh The last. Do you know that book? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Yeah, it's called The Last Walk, Reflections on Our Pets at the End of Their Lives by Jessica Pierce. And yes. it's a, a great book that discusses exactly what we're talking about here. So I, I really encourage everybody. It's easy reading. It's it's tough to get through sometimes, but it is an awesome way to start looking at this subject. Oh, um, I am so pleased so, that you featured that book. Je- Jessica is actually a friend and colleague
2: of mine, and I know her well. And she, oh. she's just absolutely brilliant, for one, and a yes. very thoughtful experience. Extremely. I mean, no one is doing the work that she is doing. Um, she is absolutely a pioneer in this field, and I I cannot say enough good things about her um, thoughtfulness That's and just absolutely brilliant. So yeah, please, please, please read this book. That's wonderful that you're promoting it. I, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, she's
1: fantastic. It, it was a, a a really good book for me to read, just because I yeah you know, I, I didn't. It really helped me look at end of life differently, and. and and say, you know what, just because a dog is taking eight medicines a day doesn't mean he has a poor quality of life. Or, right. um I mean, it, it's it's just so different for everybody. Yes. And everybody That's at right. Tripods, we all go through different experiences. So the type mm-hmm. of work that you do obviously involves a, a really close relationship with your clients. Uh, is oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep, yep. So absolutely. you get to know them pretty well. How... How does it begin when you when you meet with a client when somebody calls you are you on a referral basis or or how does somebody find a, a practitioner like yourself? Yeah, it's a
2: great question um, so um I, it's a good it's a good time to be talking to me because actually last week I had taken five new patients, which is kind of a busy wow. week um so yeah, it was really it was a wonderful a wonderful week. Um I was really excited about meeting all these families, and they each were very individual and they each came to me with different goals and came to me through different channels so some people. Um, certainly their vet will refer them to me, and that's really lovely because I, I am very um, committed to developing a collaborative relationship with the general wellness that's around. So that's, that's, you know, one way that people come to me, and that's super. And the other way – excuse me, I'm just getting over the flu. Um, the other way that people come to me, and I would say this is actually probably more common, is that people have had a meaningful hospice experience with a beloved human family member, and then their dog mm-hmm. gets sick. Or their cat gets sick. Mm -hmm. And they think to themselves, well, gosh, like, remember all those wonderful people, you know, who helped us with mom or dad? And, like, where are those people now? And can they exist? And they turn to Google. And um, they find me. And they find other colleagues of mine Mm -hmm. who are doing this work. And so certainly, you know, the Internet has been um, a resource for for people. Um, So that's somehow, you know, sometimes how people are finding me. Um, in my mm-hmm. local community, I mean, I've been in the community for a while, and I try to do as much outreach as possible. And you know, my friends will, um, you know, laugh at this, but I, I mean, I am literally willing to talk to anyone at any time, anywhere about veterinary hospice and palliative medicine, like that. That oh, is how this, how this gets going because it's just a term, it's an education piece, really. And so, you know, word of mouth, and certainly the experience of. other families who I've worked with, like those families spread the word to other families and then it just kind of is a ripple effect. And I think if you talk to other, you know, colleagues of mine who are doing this work throughout the country, you'll find that that's certainly the case. Um, How else do people find me? Um, I think that there is certainly a desire for people um, when they have had a terminal or a bad diagnosis given at a vet appointment, you know, they've, they've seen their general wellness vet and, and something's not going well, oftentimes mm-hmm. there's a desire to reach out for something. And, and that something may be different for every family. Um, but I think that people, I mean, I strongly believe that people are kind of at their best when they're with their pets. You know, they um, people yeah. love talking about their pets, and, and these are incredibly important relationships. And so I think when things um, happen with our bonds and relationships with our pets. We're talking about it all the time. And so we're talking to coworkers and we're talking to friends and family. And, you know, then that person might say, oh, I knew I was just talking to this person and she does this thing and then it kind of grows, you know, and that's, uh-huh. that's how how this kind of Happens. Does that answer your question? I, I'm trying to think of what your original yeah. question was. Yeah,
1: it How does, does. it me. does. And I'm, I'm actually curious about this organization that you formed, the Veterinary Society for Hospice and Palliative Care. Oh, um, is, that, is that where people can go and um, find other practitioners? Will it be that kind of um, uh, gathering point for, for folks that- like yourself?
2: Yeah, that, so the goal of that organization, um, so Dr. Paige Yaxley, um, she is really the the pioneer, honestly, of, of academic veterinary hospice care. She started the hospice care service at Michigan State University. Um, she is a um, boarded critical care specialist, um, and so she... Really, like I said, she, you know, she's the pioneer of this in terms of academia, um, and, and she and I are the co-founders of this organization. And the, the goal of which, the, the primary long-term goal, is really to lay the groundwork um, and establish um, forward momentum towards the establishment of a veterinary, emer- uh, sorry, veterinary hospice and palliative care college within. The, you know, the underneath the AVMA, the Veterinary Medical Association, similar to other specialty colleges like critical care and emergency okay, neurology, that kind of thing. So this organization is specifically it's for veterinarians um, to address the specific needs of veterinary providers um, of this type of care. Um, because uh-huh. we have, you know, certainly there are other organizations that have been wonderful and very useful for the public in terms of awareness and, um, you know, getting more information in general about hospice and, and palliative medicine. The, the International Association of Animal Hospice and Palliative Care is one of those organizations. Um, uh-huh. the, the distinction is that we, Paige uh, Yasley, Dr. Yasley and I really believe that we need a veterinary-focused, a medically-focused organization so that we can establish this in a, a credentialed academic way so that when people are working yeah. out, they have people who are trained in this and people who have um, experiences beyond what they're going to get in traditional veterinary school because, you know, to be very clear, there is a significant um, lack of, of end-of-life training within our veterinary mm-hmm. curricula. And so Dr. Yachley and I are both in um, very strong agreement that, you know, that is the established path that we really have to pursue in order to get hospice and palliative medicine for animals in the mainstream veterinary profession. Um, so that's of mm-hmm. really the goal of the Veterinary Society. Um, it's really by veterinarians, for veterinarians to deal with these specific issues. Um, so it's, it's not okay. really for, um, for the public you know, necessarily, although, you know, they will benefit, because what, what I'm finding is that there's a tremendous push for this from the public and from pet mm-hmm. parents and from people who want this care, and that's wonderful and that's inspiring to me. But then my next question is, well, who's going to be providing this care if we don't have yeah. to train people to do this work? Because this is very distinct from traditional model of end of life care you know in the traditional right. veterinary world <laughs> there's lots of really great things that of course go on with you know traditional veterinary medicine but this is definitely um not uh you know it's a tr- it's a it's a distinct discipline and we're we're trying to establish it as a distinct discipline
1: okay um thank yeah. you for for clearing that up um we do have yeah. a, a question in our our chat room right now um Somebody wants to know, um, she says, I still don't get what a what pet hospice service provides. So can you kind of give us a a quick overview? We're we're running a little short on time here. Um, If you could just kind of um, go over how the process works from the time you see a client until the time um, they're actually coping with the loss. Yeah, perfect.
2: It's a great, it's a great question. So, um, for example, um, well, all of the patients that I, that I took in last week um, have an initial intake exam. My initial intake exam lasts two hours. So that's number one is the biggest difference is just a matter of time um, and really wow. taking the time to review past medical records, understand what the family's perception is of what has worked and what has not worked in the past, Um, understanding what the family's expectations are, what their goals are, what their fears are, what their ideal plan would be for their pet, and then, of course, evaluate the pet's medical issues and do a complete and thorough physical exam, you know, and then together we all talk about what is the plan that is going to make the most sense for this family. And so, like I said, it is very individualized. Some patients I'm seeing, like there's a cat, for example, who... Um, I did an initial intake exam on Wednesday. I have already been to the house three times since Wednesday. Wow. Um, there are other animals who I may not see for a couple of weeks, depending on, you know, what their um, regimen is of medications or, you know, interventions or, or whatnot. Um, so, it's you know, it's very variable. Um, a lot of what I do, of course, you know, to answer the, the caller's question, like, what does hospice entail? Well. Pain management, absolutely number one. Um, So aggressive, multimodal pain management to make sure that we are not in a situation where we're ending animals' lives or feeling pressured to end end animals' lives because they are painful, right? So euthanasia is not a first line of pain medication. I want to be very clear that I am not against euthanasia. I think it's a gift. I think it's a tool. I think it can be one of the most important ways we can end animal suffering, but it is also, um, you know, not the first line of, of pain management. And so we want to make sure that we are addressing pain, number one. Um,
1: we want Dr. To make sure Goldberg, that I, I am I, – I'd like to apologize. We This is such a huge topic. We did not expect to go over our, our allotted time right now. I'd like to apologize to the caller who's on hold. We're not uh, going to be able sorry. to take your call. We're going to have to have you back. Thank you so
2: much. Oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to come back. I'm sorry. I could talk about this for hours,
1: clearly. I'm very sorry. We could, too. We could, too. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome.
0: Yes, thanks again for your time, Doctor. Listeners can learn more about your services at wholeanimalvet.com and find all past Tripod Talk radio podcasts at Downloads.tripod.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com.